would you describe forgiveness? In my last podcast, we began exploring divine forgiveness. And we thought about how the history of Israel is the history of a forgiving God searching for repentant people. Forgiveness originates from God's character, is part of who he is, one of his attributes. He, he is loving and merciful and patient. He also forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sins. And in the fullness of time, the fullness of this forgiving, invisible God came to us in the person, Jesus Christ, still searching for a repentant people. And through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through the blood of his cross. God has rescued us from the power of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so any conversation about forgiveness must begin with a gaze towards the heavens. There's also human forgiveness. And and that's where it gets messy, because we need not scour Scripture too far before we hear that divine forgiveness depends in part on human forgiveness. Uh, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, when you're offering your gift on the altar, ah, and you remember the brother and sister has something against you, but we'll leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then you can come and offer your gift. And this mix of divine and human forgiveness makes it messy. And human forgiveness is messy because people hurt us, and hurt arrives at a doorstep in various sized and shaped packages. And, and some hurts, you know, we're best off letting go. The things that annoy us, uh, maybe being slighted by people we know, or being disappointed. These hurt, but we need not make these misdemeanors into major felonies. But there are hurts that are offensive, hurts that, that fracture and destroy. Disloyalty, that's treating a friend like a stranger. Betrayal, that's treating a friend like an enemy. And brutality, that's treating anyone as less than human. And these things, these kinds of deep hurts are hard to heal. And it's messy because on the one hand, we're commanded by God to forgive each other. But on the other hand, doesn't that mean they're getting off scot-free? And that rubs us wrong. One day, Peter came to Jesus asking, Lord, if another member of the church, my brother or sister, sins against me, how often should I forgive? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 
I tell you 77 times. And Jesus goes on. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. He wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him, you know, 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the king ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, all his possessions, so that payment could be made. And that servant fell on his knees before the king, pleading, Be patient, and I will have pay you back everything, I promise. And out of pity, out of mercy, the king released him and forgave his debt. And, and we like this opening scene before the great king. It tells of one who has the right to punish us for our great debts. And yet when we beg for mercy, he forgives our debts. A bag of gold is worth 15 years income. And he owed 10,000 bags. That's 150,000 years of income. There's no way he could pay that back. And even selling the servant, his wife, and children's possession, that wouldn't even begin to touch it. The reality is that we're created good. But we live in a fallen world. We, we live with this disruption between us and God, and the depths to which humans have fallen is so deep. No one can get out on their own. Try as you may, it's just not going to happen. And that's why Jesus came to us to reach down to us, to pay this enormous price, to cancel our debt and set us free. And so we like part one of the story. Jesus goes on, but uh, that same servant, as he went out, as he left king's presence, having, having just been released and forgiven of such a great debt, he came to a fellow servant who owed him, you know, a hundred silver coins, grabbed him by the throat and choked him, demanding, pay back everything you owe me. His fellow servant, he fell on his knees and he begged, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay. Two servants, both in debt, both headed to the reckoning before the king. One owed the king 150,000 years of income. The other owed a fellow servant 100 days of income. Neither can pay. Both beg for patience, promising repayment. And the one with the impossible to repay enormous debt, upon pleading, receives release and forgiveness by the king. And the other, with the small debt choked upon pleading, imprisoned 
by his fellow servant. And the relationship between these two servants here in scene two opens to us the reality of hate. You know, you don't, you don't grab someone by the throat to choke them. Screaming? Unless there's hate. And that's a, the other messy bit of human forgiveness. It's hate. It's not just hurt. And there's passive hate. Someone whispers a lie about you. It's tough to wish them great success in life. You don't wish them to drop dead. You're not out to get them, but you're certainly not out to help them either. That's passive hate. And there's a grace, aggressive hate. This is the kind that drives us out of our wits. A woman just wishes her former husband would live miserably ever after with his new wife. You hope the one who hurt you gets fired. We devoutly wish them ill. We are poised for attack. This is aggressive hate. And whether passive or aggressive, hate always separates. Hate is an inner violence driving people apart. Hate is an inner violence dividing our soul. Because one of part of us hates, the other part loves. A husband may love his wife's devotion to their marriage, but hate her for her indifference to his needs. I mean, hate and love, they, they coexist within. And hate pushes us apart as love pulls us together. And hate needs healing. Nothing good comes from hate. And if allowed to run its course, it demolishes the hater, even more than the hated. And it's hate that needs healing. Not about anger. You know, anger is a sign that, that you're alive and well. And hate is a sign that you're sick and need healing. A healthy anger can energize us to make things better. Hate makes things worse. And hate is a hard sickness to cure. play, The Black Angel, tells the story of Hermann Engel. Engel was a German general in World War II, and he was sentenced at the Nuremberg court to 30 years in prison for atrocities committed by his army. He survived his sentence and was released. The play takes place in rural France. Engel and his wife are now in a cabin in the woods and they just want to live out their years incognito, forgotten, at peace. But a French journalist named Moreau is waiting in the wings. Moreau's entire family was massacred by Engel's army during the war. And when the Nuremberg court refused to sentence Engel to death 30 years prior, 
Moreau privately condemned Engel to die. And his condemnation was kept alive and hot by the fire of hate, kept it kindled in his heart, and the time had come. Moreau, he stirred up the fanatics in a village not far from Engel's cabin. And that very night, the mob was coming up the hill and to burn down the cabin and shoot Engel and his wife dead. But Moreau wants to get to Engel beforehand. There are just some gaps in Engel's story plaguing this reporter's need for a finished story. So he went up the hill early, introduced himself. Engel was shaken and spent the afternoon grilling this former general about this village massacre. It really just lay like a forgotten shadow in, in Ingle's past. But, but, but Ingle's feeble humanity, it, it confused me, Moreau. He seemed less like a monster and more like a tired old man who's just having a hard time putting it all together. Moreau was plagued by newborn doubt and his vengeance now blurred and the purity of his hate now contaminated. And toward the end of the afternoon, the sun fell deep and the woods became a cavern. And Moreau blurted out to England, Ingle rather, the villages are, they're coming to kill you tonight. And he offered to lead Ingle, his wife, out of the woods, I'll save your life. But that afternoon's inquisition had also brought other kinds of doubts to Ingle's soul as well. And, and Ingle paused. His eyes were fixed on a cone just fallen from a black pine. I'll, I'll go with you, slowly said, on one condition. What? Is he mad? Does he lay down a condition for having his own life saved? What condition? That you forgive me. Forgive? I mean, Moreau had exterminated this man a thousand exquisite ways in the fantasies of hate he played in his mind for the past 30 years. But face to face with the ambiguity of Ingle's humanity, Moreau's vengeance was unsettled. He would save the man's life. Yes, he would cancel the execution. But forgive him? Never. And that night, the enraged mob arrived, burned the cabin, shot Ingle and his wife dead. Why was it that Moreau could not forgive Ingle? Why is forgiving harder than saving a life? Moreau's passioned hatred was too long lodged in his soul. I mean, Moreau, he could no longer be the person he was without his hatred. He had become his hatred. His hate did not belong to him. He belonged to his hate. And he wouldn't know who he was if he no longer hated Ingle. And the tragedy was that only forgiveness 
the one thing he could not give Ingle. Forgiveness was the only thing that could have set Moreau free. Listen, hate becomes fatal when left to grow. And even the best of people can get their bellies full. And it doesn't matter if it's a nasty little scene between friends or a question of international immorality. And hate can just nibble at the edge of your heart or it can become a carcinoma growing hell-bent for death. But if you fail to find forgiveness, hate will do you in. And you'll find yourself with your own hands on the throat of a fellow servant. Jesus knows the destructive power of hate. I mean, Peter thought he was being generous by giving, forgiving seven times. I mean, that, that was a more appropriate number back in the day, and even today, three strikes, okay, but then you're out. But for followers of Jesus, human forgiveness is beyond calculating. And that's why the third part of the story is such a strong warning. I mean, the other servants... They knew what had happened in the king's presence. And here they're, they're now observing this man with his hands around another servant's throat. It's upset the servants, greatly distressed, outraged. And they went and told the king everything. The story it just closes with the servant back before the king. You are a wicked servant. Not shame on you. Stop that. Go back and make it right. You wicked servant. Derelict. Vicious. Malicious. I, the king, canceled your enormous debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on a fellow servant so I had mercy on you <laughs> and now the, the king's mercy it actually turns to anger and this wicked servant was tortured until he could pay his entire debt which is forever and, and Jesus said so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sisters from your heart. Allowing hurt to grow into hate is not the way of Jesus or of God. Allowing hate or to fester leads only to evil. And human Forgiveness is messy. You know, I said it last week, but the first step in human forgiveness is a return to divine forgiveness. 
You know, when looking at other servants and the small debt we owe each other, let us keep in mind the unimaginable debt we owe the king and the reality that when we pleaded with him, he released us, forgave us. And so here's some things that have helped me get through the mess. Forgiveness does not mean that what happened doesn't matter. Forgiveness is both a moment and a process. It is a decision that you must make at a point, but it's also a process that requires a number of additional decisions. Forgiveness does not mean you forget. And it's not about holding grudges. We've got to let that go, but it's about setting appropriate boundaries. That's always acceptable. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is restoring the relationship. Forgiveness is releasing yourself from carrying the burden of having to punish this person and make their life miserable because in that process, you imprison yourself, making your life miserable. And forgiveness is not a straight line. It's more of an ebb and flow and up and down. And forgiveness is not something we do alone but only by the grace of God. Jane works at a thrift store, and she meets a lot of people. One day, a woman came in for clothes, a woman whose life and body speaks of manual labor, long hours on her feet, and poverty. Chooses the clothes she needs, and as she stands in the checkout counter, there, uh, she begins to talk about her life. Some church people, they talk about forgiving all the time. But they don't have any idea how hard it is to forgive because I don't think they've ever had something really wicked done to them. I've had a hard time forgiving my dad. Left home when I was 15 because of him. And she continued talking and Jane's bagging the clothes. I mean, don't get me wrong. Forgiveness is the most important thing. If you can't forgive, it eats you up inside. She says she is now the only one in her family who speaks to her dad. And Jane, is she's stunned at the woman's insight. Well, ask her, how, how did you forgive her dad? Well, you know how church people, they say you have to forgive because Jesus forgave the people who crucified him. They say he forgave them while he was hanging on the cross. I heard that over and over. She paused and explain, but what they say isn't quite right. 
he looked it up in the Bible. But what actually happened, what he really did say was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. He was talking to God, not to them. He was praying for them. What a profound lesson from a streetwise theologian who apparently found the peace she was looking for. Thank you.